Why? Because the porch needs some work. Why? Because plants need water to grow. Why? Because baseball's played in the summer. Oxygen and hydrogen. Gravity. Because that's just the shape of my head. Because monkeys don't get married. It's complicated. Because I forgot to get a receipt. I don't know. Why? Why not? Why? Why don't you go ask your dad? Why? How many of you remember that stage? How many of you are glad you're out of it? For parents, it can be a really frustrating stage. But for kids, they're important questions. And they do deserve an answer to some of them. Why do I have to eat all of my veggies? Why can't I play with matches? Why do I have to look both ways when I cross the street? Those are legitimate questions that deserve legitimate answers, right? And they deserve more than just because I said so. <laughs> they want to know why. How many of you have some whys of God? Be really honest. I got a lot that he's never answered yet. But I do have a lot of them. Why him? Why her? Why them? Why now? Those are really important questions that a lot of us have to answer every once in a while, or at least get asked, and a lot of them I'm sure we ask of God. A lot of times we're dealing with the what, but we don't always understand the why. For the first seven verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter has been telling us the what. And now this morning and next Sunday morning, he's going to tell us why. And I appreciate that, because I want to know why. Because there's a lot of times that I ask questions that I don't know the whys of. But for these seven verses, Peter has been telling this relatively new believers some whats. And now he's going to tell them some whys. You and I have been around for a long time in our spiritual journey. I've been following Christ since 1965, so that's a long time. Spirituality and Christianity has been around for over 2,000 years. These people are brand new in the faith. Christianity is 30 years old max, maybe 35 years old max. And so Peter, this spiritual father, spiritual mentor of these people who are going through some really deep waters, wants to give them some what's, but he's going to give them some why's. He's going to tell them what's really important, what they need to understand, what God has provided. But he's going to tell them this morning and next Sunday morning why. And to me, that's critical in understanding of the spiritual journey God has us on. Beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1, he tells us what God has provided. Everything we need for life and godliness. Some incredible promises, one for every day of the week. The opportunity to participate in the nature of God. In verse 5, he goes on to tell us what we need to do. This is what God's provided, this is what you need to do, make every effort. You and I are saved by grace, not works, but after salvation, we're told to work. Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Grow in your faith, practice discipline, take responsibility for your spiritual development, don't blame others for your lack of maturity. I've had people tell me through the years, I've had it say about their kids, if, you know, the church would have done a better job, my kids wouldn't have turned out the way they did. And I've had that over and over again through the years, and we sometimes defer that spiritual development to somebody else, and then when it doesn't go the way we hoped that it would, youth group didn't do a good job, church didn't do a good job, Sunday school didn't do a good job. Paul said, take responsibility for your spiritual development. Peter does as well. He goes on in the next few verses to tell us what we need to do and what we need to add to our faith. 
goodness or virtue, knowledge, which is way more than just facts, but what am I learning and what am I doing with what I'm learning? Self-control, which means to control your passions, not let them control you. Perseverance or commitment to the end. Godliness, brotherly kindness, which is love for people and genuine love, which is love for God. If you want to challenge in your spiritual life and growth, work hard at developing those things. Now in verse 8, he's going to tell us why it's so important that we take advantage of all that God has provided and why it's so important that we grow in our faith. Purpose statement of Community Alliance Church that's on the front of your bulletin every week, and we've added a couple of words that we really think are important. You're going to see them on the wall in a few weeks. We talk about people coming to faith in Christ, that the, that the beginning of their journey, the celebration of those this morning and in T&L on Thursday night, Growing in wisdom is that journey continuing, being intentional in service and relationships, which are some of the results of the beginning and the journey, as well as things that help us grow. In verses 5 to 7, Peter gives us some great qualities that are necessary in that process. Now, beginning at verse 8, he tells us why. Why we need to grow and what we need to do after we come to faith in Christ. So you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Now, you're going to be in the Word a lot this morning. Here in the New Testament, a couple of other places. The, the words will always appear on the screen, but I really do encourage you to bring your Bible to church. I spend 12 to 15 hours on a message, 33 delivering it. You spend time processing it. You don't have a note in front of you. So it's a, it's a lot to take in. And I really want you to make sure that you're comparing it with the Word of God. You understand what God's teaching. How many of you have a Bible? I mean, you all have one? How many didn't bring it this morning, though? No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I really want you to do that. We do. There's just a lot of ways, and you version I keep saying, and a lot of other ways, and it'll be on the screen, but I really do encourage you to bring your Bible with you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities, the ones he just listed, in increasing, if you have a Bible underline that word, in increasing measure, which means what? It is an ongoing process. It always has to move in a direction. Then they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That knowledge that you received about Jesus, it'll keep you from being able to understand what, to, or keep you being able to understand what you do with it. But if anyone doesn't have them, the them again, those things that he listed, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, or in light of all of that, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you look at the promise here. If you do these things, you will never fall. That's a huge promise. And you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm always going to remind you of these things, Peter said, and so will I. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have, I think it's right to refresh your memory every once in a while, as long as I live in the tent of this body, in my case, as long as I'm here as your pastor. Because I know that I'll soon be put aside. I hope that's not true about me yet, but Peter is believing that. Pretty soon, I'm leaving this world, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things. We don't follow cleverly invented stories when we, were, when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We saw it with our own eyes. For He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard that voice came, that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. And Peter, James, and John were the three that were up there with him. And we had the word of the prophets made more certain. And you'll do very well to pay attention to it. 
as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Word of God, and we'll talk about that next Sunday. So, Peter answers the question, why does God provide this, and why do I need to do it? Half a dozen reasons. Let me give you some this morning. Number one, verse 8, to keep you from being unproductive. Verse 10, to keep you from falling. Verse 10, to keep you secure. Verse 11, so that you'll finish well. Verse 11, so that you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of God. Those are really great reasons to do what it is he says I need to do in those verses before that. Verses 12 to 15 come from a saint near the end of his life. If you've ever had anybody that you respect that has been your mentor or a spiritual advisor in some way, but has been around a long time in your life and, and you hang on their words, their words mean something to you, most often you'll listen to them. Most often you'll take their advice. Now, a lot of times in life I've found people looking for advice from a number of people, and what I have found often is that they continue to go around and around and around and ask more advice, basically looking for someone who agrees with what decision they've already made. I'm talking about advice that sometimes may go contrary to what you really want to do or have been doing. That means a lot, that has a lot of weight to it. Peter gives them, these brand new believers in the faith, who are going through incredibly difficult times, some really powerful words. And by saying what he does in verses 12 to 15, he's saying to them, you respect me, you look to me for wisdom, I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you what you need to understand. Please not only listen to it, but apply it. And then he adds this piece at the end. Not only because I have said so, but because God said so. And what he says in verses 16 to 21, he says very clearly, look, I need you to understand, although it's my words and it's my mouth and it's my hand using it, I need you to know that these words aren't just my words and my opinions. This is the word of God. And that carries a lot of weight. So not only do I want to do all of these things to keep from being unproductive, to keep from falling, to be secure, to finish well, to receive a rich welcome, not only do I want to do these things because I listen to his advice, and it's really great advice, I want to listen to these things and do these things because God said so. And that carries the ultimate weight. Not an option, not multiple choice. This is the Word of God. This is what it's going to take for me to be on this journey and to finish it well. You want to know what God expects of you? He says, here it is. With every amount of love and tenderness throughout Scripture that you can possibly imagine God giving, he says these things. You want grace? I will give it to you. You want love? I will pour it out on you. You want forgiveness? I'll give it. Matter of fact, I'll cast your sin so far away from you that you'll never, ever see it again. I'll cast it as far away as the east is from the west, never to remind you of it again. You want forgiveness? You got it. You ask me, I'll forgive you. I'll never remind you of it again. You want a future? You've got it. As a matter of fact, mind, the eye can't see and the mind can't conceive what I have prepared for you. You want heaven? What I have in store for you will blow you away. But in order to stay on track and get there when life is over, there are some things you have to do. 
One of my concerns with evangelical movement over the last 20 or 30 years, especially in the church growth movement of the 80s, is that many churches got so concerned with people coming to faith in Christ that they didn't tell them anything else. They didn't tell them what it meant, what it entailed, what it was going to cost them. Now, there's a lot that did, and I'm sure this one did as well. But we, if we're going to lead people to faith in Christ, we need to very clearly help them understand what it's going to cost them and what is expected of them when they do. So often, so many churches were concerned with just bringing people to faith in Christ to get them to raise a hand, sign a card, or say a prayer. They didn't do anything else with it. I want you to know right up front, you decide to give your life to Christ, it's going to cost you everything. Everything. Not just monetarily, it could cost you your life. In America, we're not really familiar with that. All around the globe, everyone is. But you need to know what it's going to cost you to come to faith in Christ. You need to know what's expected of you. I need to know what's expected of me. If I'm going to commit my life to something, I want to know why. I want to know what I'm going uh, to receive. I'm, I want to know what it's going to do in my life. I want to know what's going to change my life. But I want to know what's expected of me. And I'm telling you, if I make that commitment, I'll go that way. But I need to know. And Paul and Peter both really clearly lay that out for us. New believers, new members, God says you're forgiven. You've got a brand new life. The slate is clean. But I need you to know you have to stay on the course to not give up, to not quit, to grow up and work hard. There's not a parent in this room who doesn't want to see their kids grow up and mature, right? And become everything they were designed to be. Peter wants the exact same thing for his children, and so does God. That's why he says, I need you to understand why, so that you apply this and do it with everything you've got. Let's look at some of the whys. Verse 8. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, and I said to you, underline that word because it's really important to the context, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the master storyteller and illustrator. If it was just you and me in a room, and we were sitting down together, and I were to be vulnerable and honest, about what I enjoy about ministry and some of my weaknesses in ministry, I were to say to you, one of the things that I really wished I was better at was being a great storyteller. Down through the years as I've listened to other ministers who are just phenomenal storytellers. Have great illustrations. They just blow me away. I'm captivated. The John Bechtels of life who stand and tell stories that suck me in and pull me in and I'm right there with it and I can't wait to get to the application I need to know and what I understand. I, I, I love those kinds of people that are able to do that. I love preachers who have great context, but great stories and great illustrations. If I were to be really honest with you, I'm unbelievably humbled that you come every Sunday and that you listen, and you listen the way you do. I'm not saying that so you're all going to write me an email saying, oh, we love you, you're really great, we're, we'd come even if you didn't tell us anything. No, I don't, I'm not saying that for that reason. I'm just saying I love great storytellers. And I'm humbled that you're here. Peter had the opportunity to spend time with the master storyteller. He tells two of them. One is in Luke chapter 8 this morning. I want to take you there. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus shares a story that he shared in the other Gospels as well. Probably one of the most well-known. The story has been told on a number of occasions. It's the story of a farmer. You know me? I love stories of farmers. How fascinating was it that in a Super Bowl with all the 
bad, junky, go-daddy nonsense that was on there that one of the number one commercials was the farmer commercial with Paul Harvey. I mean, I've listened to that thing over and over and over again. I found a half a dozen versions of him doing it, and I can't wait to, to show it to my dad because I can't believe my dad was to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Tells the story of a farmer. Then Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 5, a farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path. It was trampled on. The birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rocks, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, and it choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil. It came up, yielded a crop, a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he said to them, listen carefully. Understand carefully what I just said. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Anybody in here that doesn't have ears? <laughs> we all do. He who has ears to hear, hear it very carefully and understand very clearly what I'm saying. The disciples said to him, we don't get it. We don't understand. So he said, let me tell you what it means. And this is critical to our understanding of spiritual development. This is the meaning, verse 11, of the parable. Incredibly important. The seed is the word of God. Every single Sunday I come here and all over this campus in Bible studies and Sunday school classes and Sunday night services and small groups, you hear the word of God. Someone shares it with you. Someone teaches it to you. You read it on your own. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. The devil comes along and he takes away the word from their hearts so that they wouldn't believe and be saved because we know that we only are saved by understanding the word of God and receiving what Christ offers us. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. They hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but when things get tough or the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stood for those who hear, but as they go their way, they're choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they never seem to mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those of a noble and a good heart who hear the word, retain it, key word, and by that, perseverance produce a crop by that continual journey. If you've ever heard the term eternal security, we can argue it's theology till Jesus comes back and churches will disagree. We'll talk about whether or not a person really, if they're saved in Christ, they'll never walk away, they'll never go back, they'll never fall away. And, and I get all those arguments, I hear them all, and, and I understand them. I'm not even going to discuss that issue this morning. What I am saying is Jesus is saying some incredibly important truths that we better understand and clearly process. The seed is the word of God. And when you receive it, you have the opportunity to decide what you're going to do with it. Peter is very clearly reminding them that the implications of what we do with the Word of God are absolutely critical. Some won't even get it. They'll hear it, they'll sit in a seminar, hit in a sermon, they'll listen to a crusade, they'll maybe go to a Billy Graham conference down through the ages, and they'll sit in a service, they'll come to the venison dinner, they'll hear the Word of God, and they walk out saying, well, it's not for me, and they go. Others will say, that sounds good. I, I want that. And, and matter of fact, they received it. What they did with it, that's where the question arises. And one of the things that I love about God is I don't have to be Him. <laughs> he knows what they did with it. He knows whether or not it was genuine, and I, and, and I don't. But they received it. They listened to it. They heard it. They understood it. And they liked it. But it never went further than that. It didn't grow, and it, it didn't mature, and, and a lot of things came their way and, and, and pulled it away. There are others who 
had a lot of stuff that clamored for attention in that context of the Word of God. And they, they listened to it, they heard it, they understood it, but just didn't sink deep enough in, and they never matured with it. But those who really heard it, understood it, retained it, and by that continued in it, produce a crop. Peter is saying here, I need you to understand the implications of the story Jesus told that I heard him say. If you're on this journey with Christ, one of the obvious evidences that you're on this journey with Christ is that people will see that and things will happen. Your life will begin to change. Is it an immediate thing? You're transformed immediately when you come to faith in Christ? Positionally with Jesus, you are. Process-wise, we're on a journey. What Peter really clearly indicates in here, he's got to stay on the journey. He knew how important it was for these new believers to stay the course, to deepen the roots so that they could be productive. He also knew that the dangers of life and the challenges of life that were going to get in their way and some would, for whatever reason it was, for whatever reason they did it, for however deep it stood, they walked away because of the dangers that either came into their life or the process that just didn't sink in deep enough for them to want to do anything with it. And Peter knew that the people he was writing in here are going to have a choice to make because life's going to get tough Christianity is brand new. They have very few people around them that's going to help them in that journey. And Peter said, look, you've got to stay the course. Don't give up. Don't give in. He was also there when Jesus shared John 15. Turn there if you have your Bible. John 15 is, I I love John's writing. One of the only ones that give us a, a lot of details about what Jesus said from the upper room experience and the last several of the disciples until the cross. John 14, he gives that famous, in my father's house are many mansions, many wombs, is an accurate translation. And I'm going to go and prepare the place. And when it's all said and done, I'll come back and get you and take you with me. Thomas said, where on earth are you going? How do we know the way? Jesus said that classic verse that all of us have memorized, hopefully, in John 14, 6. What? I am. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets there but by me. Not a thousand paths, a hundred mountains, or a number of ways. There's one way to, to the end of life, one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. In John 15, he says, I need you to really understand something. I'm the vine, my father's a gardener. You need to understand that he's going to cut off every branch in me, you're in me, that doesn't bear fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he'll prune sometimes for the difficulties of life so that they even get more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now remain in me. Continue in the journey, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It has to remain in the vine. Nor can it bear fruit unless it remains in me. That's the critical nature of what he shared a while ago. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't. He'll do nothing. If anyone doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, he uses that word over and over again, and my words remain in you, ask what you want, and I'll be given. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear fruit, thus what? Look at what it says. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. We've shared the classic phrase forever. How will you know which ones are my disciples? By their love for one another. Absolutely true. But he also said, how will they know which ones are my disciples? By the fact that they bear fruit. Think about it. If you had an apple tree in your backyard, wouldn't you expect after a while to have an apple on it? (laughs) If you planted tomato plants in your garden, wouldn't you expect every once in a while to eat a tomato from it? If you had a rose bush in your flower bed, 
Wouldn't you expect every so often for a rose to bloom? If not, what would you do? You'd get rid of it. You'd pull it out. You'd start whatever you would do. But every single one of us in the natural part of life expect the apple to come from the apple tree and the tomato to come from the tomato plant and the flower to come from the rose tree. We just expect that because it's a part of life. Everything in life that lives and grows has fruit, produces, is obvious. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says, You're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest you boast, but we are saved for works. For for God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, he says in verse 10, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's like you wouldn't want your kids lying around the house the rest of their lives remaining useless and unproductive. God expects the same of us. Knowing that our productivity has enormous impact on our own spiritual journey and the lives of people. Failing to do this obviously means you've forgotten what God has done for you. Either you can't see it or you fail to remember it. Look at what he says in verse 9. But if anyone doesn't have them, the them, or do this, he's nearsighted and blind, and he has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. I got a number of favorite movies. One of my all-time favorite is Rooster Cogburn. <laughs> you know that one with John Wayne and Kate Hepburn, fascinating. Remember the Titans with Denzel Washington, Fiddler on the Roof, one of my all-time favorite. But one of my favorite westerns is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I love Sundance because he's left-handed, and as am I. There were some classic lines all the way through that. One of the lines that Butch had, and they had lines for each other all the way through it, but one of the classic lines that Butch had to Sundance was, I've got vision while the rest of the world wears bifocals. Y'all remember that one? You do? You really do? They're getting ready to jump off the cliff, and he was talking about the next part of their journey, and, and Sundance looked at him and had no idea what he was talking about. And essentially, he was just saying this. You've got to look far enough down the road and not just see what's in front of you. Peter uses the phrase here, if you fail to do this and fail to understand it and fail to apply it, you're nearsighted and blind. Now, you've got to ask yourself, I'm either nearsighted or blind, <laughs> one or the other. I'm blind, obviously, I'm nearsighted. And the NIV switches them around and talks about blind and nearsighted. The word in the original Greek simply means short-sighted. You're not looking far enough down the road to see what's ahead. You're only seeing the moment, either the why that God hasn't answered, the frustration of the times, the situation that you're in, the, the temptation that's there in front of you. But for whatever reason, you're not able to look far enough down the road to see what is ahead for you. That's why he paints that fortress for us in verse 11. Look, you're going to receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. Every moral failure is committed by someone who's failed to see the consequences of their actions or didn't care. My pastor looked me in the eye and he said, I'm telling you, had I known the moment that I would have to look my daughter in the eye to tell her what I did to her mom and how I failed my commitment, I would have never done it. But I didn't see far enough down the road. I only saw what was in front of me. Peter's encouragement is for them to look beyond their difficulty because they're going to be in a lot of it. And see the incredible end of the road that God has in store for them. So he says, work hard, stay the course, dig in your roots so that you can handle it. Peter also reminds them of where they had come from. You've forgotten that he cleansed you from your past sins. When you come to faith in Christ, you walk away from your past. Repentance means to turn around. When you when you were doing your own thing, walking your own life, running your own course, and doing your own thing, you were just doing it for yourself. 
walking any way you wanted to go, nobody to answer to, nothing that you cared that much about. You were just on this road. Then all of a sudden, someone presented you with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you realized that's what I wanted. Repentance means I'm not walking this way anymore. I've turned around, and I'm now walking this direction. I'm walking to Jesus' road. Every missionary I know, when they talk to people overseas about coming to faith in Christ, they talk to them about being on the Jesus' road, helping them understand that it's a journey and not a moment in time or a decision that they make for that very second. But they now are walking on the Jesus road or walking on the Jesus path. When you came to faith in Christ, you walked away from that past, which is what Peter is saying. Don't go back to that. Don't ever revert back to that. Galatians, he says to them (coughs) over and over again in the book of Galatians, what happened? Who got to you? You were so on the road. And then you turned back and went another way. When you come to faith in Christ, you're making a public declaration, I am not going back there anymore. Peter now says to them, if if indeed you're going backwards, you have forgotten that you made a commitment. Every single marriage I know goes through tough times. They go through times when they feel like giving in or giving up. And if they come to me and ask for advice, or if they come to me and I have the opportunity to speak into their life, at some point in the conversation, I usually ask them this question. Somewhere down the road, You stood at an altar, you stood in front of a pastor, you said to Almighty God, and you said to the person that you're married to, I will stay with you to the end of time, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, which means no other (laughs) male or female in this relationship, till death do us part. So help me God. And I usually ask them, did you mean that or didn't you? It's not multiple choice. (laughs) it's a yes or a no. Did you mean that or didn't you? If you did, then keep it. Work at it. Do whatever's necessary to make this work. A lot of reasons that they don't, and I I get all that and I understand it, but it's got to be a question when you go through those difficult times that you have to ask yourself in the middle of that context, did I really mean that or didn't I? At some point, You made a commitment to Christ. And when you come to faith in Christ and things get tough or sin tempts you or you get lazy in your spiritual disciplines, you have to ask yourself, did I mean what I said when I committed my life to Christ or not? New members or old members, when you made a commitment to Christ and made a commitment to a church, you made a commitment to live a biblical lifestyle, to follow Christ with every fiber of your being, to support our missions with our ministry with prayer and resources, to commit your time, talent, your treasure to the kingdom of God. And every so often when I see those that feel like giving up, giving in, walk away from the church, whether they walk away from God, I'm not there, but whether they walk away from all of that or not, I want to ask them, did you mean it when you stood there or didn't you? And that's what Paul and Peter is saying in this context. If you're not on this journey and you're not pursuing it in its increasing measure, then i, I got to ask you, did you forget what you did? Did you forget the commitment that you made? The very next thing you ought to do when you come to faith in Christ is get baptized. And I hope you've all done that. But in baptism, you are making a public declaration. When you come to faith in Christ, it's usually private. In baptism, you're making it public. Now, everybody knows that I'm a follower of Christ, whether it's in a large setting or a smaller one, but, but it's a, a public declaration. I am following Jesus. The old song of the 70s and 80s, remember that? I've decided to follow Jesus, what? No turning back, no turning back. And Peter said, if you're not moving, if you're not increasing, if you're not going on this journey, you have somehow forgotten what you did and how God rescued you and redeemed you and set you free to go on this journey with him. He goes on in verse 11. 
in verse 10 to talk about our lifestyle and the sure-footedness or the security we get from that, the, thought, the opportunity that we have, which it's just one of the most amazing incentives to our spiritual journey I can ever imagine when he says in verse 10, you will never fall if you do these things. And in verse 11, he said, I just want you to understand what is ahead. Next Sunday morning, we'll talk about that. You don't want to miss it. Not next Sunday morning. You don't want to miss what God has ahead. We'll talk about it then. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Oh, Lord, it is so powerful. It is so relevant. It's so true. It's so full of life and so full of meaning. And and the opportunity that I have to do what Ezra did 4,000 years ago, to stand up on a Sunday and open the word of God and explain it and expound on it is just an incredible privilege. So thank you for that. But as we, in this journey together, as a family of God here at Community Alliance Church, process this, may you continue to walk with us in that journey, and may your glory and grace abound. As we journey with you, may we recognize where we're at, and maybe some things we need to do, but the beauty and the joy of what you offer us in this journey to be effective and productive and delighted that we made a decision to follow you. So as we continue these weeks together, may you continue to draw us in. Lift up First Methodist this morning, Dave Panther. I just ask in the name of Jesus as I understand this week he goes through more treatment. I trust, oh God, in the name of Christ. As that church down the road has been praying for him and they're praying for him this very day, we join with them and we pray that you'll continue to walk with him. May he find himself being surrounded by your glory and your grace. All over this audience are people who have gone through and are going through some really deep water. And so I trust that they will sense your presence. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning and the privilege of being a part of this family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for your kind attention. Uh, I, did, I, just, I heard this morning between services that Dave was being prayed for this morning, so I don't know any context. I really don't. But I know they would love our prayers. He called me a few weeks ago, and he said, Tell your people thank you so much for praying for me. So I tell you that as well. God bless you. Have a great, great day. We can pray for you today. Please let us know. You can sign up to help us in the venison dinner. We would appreciate that very, very much.